0: Broadcasting from Purple Earth. I know not whether willy-willy blowing.
1: I'm afraid, sir, you have grabbed a weak grasp of gamut.
0: Your reality, sir, is lies and balderdash, and I'm delighted to say that I have no grasp of it whatsoever.
2: This week on A Different Reality, we go beyond the beyond. We speculate on an afterlife, since that's all we can do, through the worlds of literature, esoterica, and spirituality. We muse on the implications of what the scene is like outside the pearly gates, if that myth were actually true. We pay tribute to the writing of Hunter S. Thompson in a piece produced shortly after his suicide in February of 2005. And what the hell is going on in Kyrgyzstan, and why? We talked to someone who recently spent several months in Kyrgyzstan to get a picture of what the place is like and some other things too. Is there a link between Kyrgyzstan and the great beyond? We don't know, but that's where we're going this week on A Different Reality. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, hello and welcome to A Different Reality, number 503, Beyond the Beyond. My name is Abbie Z, And I'm Rosie. This program was recorded for release on Friday, April 15th, 2005. Yes, April 15th. In our part of the world, that now means that it's safe to put away the snow shovels. The bucket of sand we kept on the porch for ice storms, that can go back into the garage until next year. Spring is here. If winter has any death throes left, they will be pathetic at best.
0: Time to think about gardening. So what else is going on in the world this week? There was a story in the papers a few days ago about how some scientists studied the milk and meat from cloned cattle and they determined that it was safe. Maybe the meat was safe, but cloned cows? Why do we need this? I mean, current biological breeding techniques, which incidentally are far from natural, are creating some pretty awesome cattle. Given the astronomical expense that cloning would require, Why do we need this? What's wrong with the cattle we have now? If they started cloning cattle, pretty soon every cow would be a genetic copy of some super cow someplace. And if some minor disease comes around that only affects that small genetic group, all the cows are wiped out. This is the danger of losing genetic diversity. When you have diversity, you will have survivors if a disease attacks your population. If you don't have diversity, an entire species can get wiped out by one small vulnerability because it's a vulnerability that every individual shares. Cloning is expensive, and even if the meat or milk is safe, that doesn't make it a good idea. Since it leads to loss of diversity, it does not fit into a sustainable food system.
2: Three weeks ago, there was a coup in Kyrgyzstan. That's a small, landlocked country in Central Asia. It was formed after the breakup of the Soviet Union. Since Kyrgyzstan first became an independent country 15 years ago, its president was Ashgar Akayev. Now, the circumstances, at least as they've been reported in the press, are eerily similar to what happened in Ukraine. An election was alleged to be stolen, people rioted, and President Akayev fled the country. Some interesting news came to us just before our deadline, and that is the first senior Western official to visit Kyrgyzstan since the coup is Donald Rumsfeld, chief warlord of the imperial regime occupying the seats of government in the United States. From the online version of the Pakistan Daily Times for Friday, April 15th, In Bishkek, U.S. Defense Secretary Donald Rumpfeld backed the country's new leaders on Thursday and won fresh promises that a U.S. airbase could stay. Now, if 2 plus 2 equals 4, I would say that the American imperial regime had something to do with this coup, especially now that they're so instantly buddy-buddy with the new government. Anyway, someone we know has been to Kyrgyzstan, so we asked him to come to our studio to talk about the place. We respected his wish to remain anonymous. We have in the studio today a friend of ours who is going to introduce himself anonymously because as the conversation (laughs) progresses, we will find reasons for one to be nervous about not being anonymous. Who are you, my friend? I'm a traveler.
3: And where have you traveled to recently? The most recent place that I've been to is uh, China. People's Republic of China, in the southern province of Guangdong, a small town on the coast called Zhuhai. Um, You've been to China a lot of times, haven't you? I have, like five or six times, yeah. Um, How much time over the course of how many years? About five or six years over the course of uh, nine years.
2: What was it that brought you to China again? No, I was
3: in Poland with the Peace Corps. When I got out of the Peace Corps in 1994, I took a couple years... And just had some fun here in the States. And then in 96, I took my first trip to China because that was the easiest place for me to get a job. And that's the initial reason I chose China. What what kind of job did you get in China? I heard the pay scale there was pretty bad. Yeah, I <laughs> I got a teaching job. Okay. And I wasn't in it for the money, so, you know. Teaching? English to uh, learners from another culture, you know. English as a second language. We have another friend that's doing that too, ESL.
2: And from what I hear, that seems to be a a great avenue for members of the English-speaking world to be able to travel and stay and live and really experience other countries. Big time. It's a great way. Mm -hmm. We were kind of interested in talking about um, another country that you've been to recently Mm -hmm. um, that's actually been in the news lately. Um, That was the country of why don't you pronounce it, because I'll probably butcher the pronunciation. You're talking about Kyrgyzstan? Kyrgyzstan, thank yeah. you. A lot of press reports have been coming out. Some sort of revolution is happening in, in Kyrgyzstan, government being overthrown or contested elections and yada, yada, yada. And you just read these things and you wonder, what are they up to now? Who are the good guys? Who are the bad
3: guys? What's really going on here? Because mm. they're not telling us any of that. Well, it's hard to know really, even being there and watching things happen, it's still hard to know who's doing what, who's behind the scenes. But you can get a good idea of the major players just by looking at who's present. For example, in Bishkek, the capital of Kyrgyzstan, just outside of Bishkek there's an airbase called Manas. And that um is the only airbase in the world to my knowledge, that has joint US and Russian forces cooperatively operating in the same space. Huh. Yeah. So you've got major players there. Now you were in
2: Kyrgyzstan
3: when and for how long seven months in uh two thousand two and three yeah actually now that I remember it was uh December of o two till mid o three What kind of country would you say it is it's, it's a
2: former Soviet republic, but what kind of culture is it there? Is it an Asian culture is it an east European culture is it a is it a southern Asian like an Indian culture I mean, what type of people is it that live here and and what is it that How do they eat?
3: How do they pay their bills? It's all of those things in a way, because Mm -hmm. as you know, or may know, there were a lot of caravans that went through there for thousands of years through that area. You know, you got the Silk Road, not far. So did the Silk Road pass through Kyrgyzstan? Yeah, it was either the Silk Road or one of those other major trade routes. The main thing is that there's a lot of cultures that kind of concentrated there in that area. So there are Central Asian features of the culture. There's Eastern European, like, Russian features. You've got Islamic features to the culture. You've got Orthodox, Christian. How do they get along? In the past, they've had their squabbles, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, when I was there, I saw a lot of cooperation and basically a live-and-let-live sort of atmosphere. Now, since it's been on these trade routes, would you say that these different cultures
2: have been mixed together for a couple of generations, a couple of centuries,
3: a really long time? I'd say fairly long time. So a lot longer than they have, say, in North America. Definitely. I mean, Alexander the Great was there. These
2: are different cultures that have been living side by side for a long time and have probably you know, figured out how to reconcile with each other and get along. That's the sense that I got. So how did people generally pay their
3: bills there? You know, what, what was it that kept their economy going or how did they all feed hmm. each other? Kyrgyzstan is a very poor country and it's not easy for a lot of people to pay the bills. What I saw there, which the government actually uh, promoted in its tourism campaign, was something like uh, Kyrgyzstan being the land of the four G's. The four G's stand for gold, gambling, girls, and golf. Golf? Yeah, we've got alpine meadows up there. So
2: the barren mountains and deserts that we see on TV are not
3: exclusive Kyrgyzstan. There are nice places that they're not showing us. That's very true. I mean, most of Kyrgyzstan truly is kind of deserty, and there are mountains, obviously. But when you get right up to the foothills and a little higher, you've got beautiful, beautiful climate. Lots of green trees. Now there's beautiful Flowers. places in Nevada when you think about yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. You know, it just depends on where you're at and what the rainfall is and everything. And and Bishkek just happens to be one of those beautiful places right. where you can get out of town and in 20 minutes you're in the most lovely alpine meadows. So you yeah. mentioned golf, so they want to try to attract some sort of executive tourism that in the in the casinos. I mean, that's a big thing. There's gold mines in the mountains. You wonder when there's interested players sniffing around all over the place the first thought is always oil which
2: is seems to be more sought after than gold these days but i would think that so they have a little bit of gold there that people are well interested. you got to
3: realize too that kyrgyzstan is in a, an extremely strategic location Yeah, you know, why don't you describe that a bit more because a lot of people don't have a
2: map have in their head that shows it, yeah. where that is mm-hmm.
3: kyrgyzstan is a small country right in the center of asia to the north you've got kazakhstan to the east is China. Okay. To the west and south are a couple of other uh, those ex-Soviet satellites. A couple of other couple stands. stand countries, right? If you keep going south, what do you finally hit that people are familiar with? Well, then you you go right down to like uh, India after all the stands, all the stands. The, and yeah. is there afghanistan, yep. in there, afghanistan someplace too? is in there pakistan yeah just go straight south you'll run into india go straight east you're in the you're back in china. Of, is it like tibet like china no it? it's it's more like a xinjiang china which is the northwestern uh deserty but uh highly proportioned muslim population of china. northwestern china then yeah. south of mongolia Farther west, yeah.
2: South of Russia there. What makes that such a strategic place? You mentioned that the Silk Road have gone through there. I mean, that's ancient history.
3: Is it still a Silk Road? In a sense. I mean, you've got a modern sense of it. It's still got mountain passes. You've still got Russia to the north, China to the east. Basically, Islam and and India to the south. I saw a travel show once that showed the um, beginning of the Silk Road where
2: Turkey meets Iran, I believe, Mm -hmm. it showed this long, long line of tractor-trailer trucks. Right. So it's kind of like that's the modern translation of this overland caravan route. Is it still that way? Is it tractor-trailer traffic, overland trucks or
3: railroads going through the country on their way from China to Europe, for instance? Okay, well, personally, I didn't see anything like that with my own eyes, but I think that's true to some extent. But I know also that in Bishkek itself, it was really hard to get goods. There were like two flights. I don't know if it was per week or per day, but it wasn't much. So
2: there's not a lot of transport passing through there. Well,
3: there is, but not not a
2: lot of... uh... I guess I'm just trying to figure out why... Why is it so strategic
3: when nobody when nobody goes through there anyway? Well, the airbase is there, and that's that's a huge staging post. Okay, so it's strategic militarily. Yeah, if you're, okay. if you're looking at a, a potential theater, I mean, that is a very strategic place to be. So, for instance, what places are within easy range of that airbase? Russia, China, India, uh, Europe. It's all a tank of gas away. If you're talking airplanes and stuff.
2: What are the locals like?
3: Oh, they're super friendly. If I would go shopping, for example... I'd go to a shop that was either owned by an ethnic Russian or an ethnic Kyrgyz person. Either way, it was usually got a friendly reception. People were nice. They were happy to see the money, too, of course. All the Russians I've ever met have just been the most warm-hearted people you'd ever know. Sure,
2: yeah. Yeah, I guess what I really wanted to get to was who's in charge.
3: And what do you Mm -hmm. think all this controversy is about concerning who's in charge? I mean, now that Akayev has fled the country, it's hard for me to to say anything about who's in charge. When you were there, was he popular? Was he unpopular? Was he somebody that people were afraid to talk about? No, I don't think anybody was really afraid to talk about him, but I wouldn't say anybody was really gung-ho about him either. They weren't necessarily shouting against him. You know, I wouldn't say he was super popular, no. Was he perceived as somebody that was more self-interested as opposed to having a benevolent attitude to the rest of the citizens of the country? or was I he- would say so, yeah. I mean, the way I saw it, there was plenty of income, you know, and he could have been using that to improve things that I personally saw right. that were substandard, like the grid, the electrical grid system, um, even garbage pickup, stuff like that streets Mm -hmm. yeah i didn't do much of that so you think it was corrupt or incompetent i would say probably corrupt i don't have any proof of stuff right of course you know i can only conjecture did he seem to
2: be kind of beholden to foreign interests at all or what other countries did he his government regard as his friends was this government in charge ever since they were spun off the soviet union uh pretty much or has there been okay yeah so it's kind of a profound sea change then you figure that this government inherited the country from the Soviet Union, right. and now they're being replaced. Yeah. When you hear about this, it's almost being regarded as a coup and this whole contesting of the election. Do you sense that this is all generated from within the country or that... Uh, oh,
3: no. I don't think so, man.
2: How come? Uh, why do you not think so? <laughs> well, I mean,
3: um, yeah, I, I read on the internet myself something about uh, how this is probably in our best interest. There's all kinds of people working in Kyrgyzstan that are basically infiltrating every aspect of the society in order to to come up with a, an atmosphere that is conducive to our self-interest. So you, you think know? that this new leadership that is coming into power is an American puppet government? It might be. Not necessarily even American, but maybe more of a The global corporatocracy. Yeah, something closer on those lines, Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's probably more what the American government is anyway. It's a right. puppet of that global corporatocracy. Yeah. So yeah, in that sense, I would say yes. The global corporatocracy wants what from Kyrgyzstan? Well... You know, Kyrgyzstan's a beautiful place. They want to take over that country so they can have their little golf resorts, maybe. <laughs> it's a beautiful place and it's it is a nice And there's gold. Yeah, and it's a nice location. Everywhere has to be under control, you know, everywhere in the world has to be online with this idea. And it just makes me wonder if they accomplish what they're trying to accomplish,
2: it just means that everything gets destroyed. They want to turn the earth into a golf ball, pave everything. It's a short-term greed over long-term sustainability. we get a week like this when a lot of high-profile deaths happen at once I get to wondering everybody has their own myth for what happens to us after life leaves our bodies some people believe in reincarnation others believe we inhabit the planet as ghosts and still others believe we all go to some sort of great beyond a good place if we've been good and a bad place if we've been bad personally I'm a don't knowist. I feel the most prudent thing to do is to get the most out of this life because we don't know what happens afterwards. But just for the sake of amusement, let's muse for a bit on the myth that I was raised on. It's a complicated set of beliefs that not only involves heaven and hell, but also St. Peter standing at the pearly gates, like some sort of cosmic Mater D controlling who gets admitted to heaven and who doesn't. The myth also involves a place called purgatory. A kind of temporary hell where you do time for your minor sins before finally getting admitted to heaven. So St. Peter sits at the pearly gates and one by one the newly dead approach to seek admittance. Those who were good are allowed in. Those who were evil are sent off to the bad place for evil people. Those who were somewhere in between get sentenced to some time in purgatory. But on the way to the pearly gates is a line, a long line, kind of like the line at the Motor Vehicles Department, or the line for toilets at some concert venues. And anybody who's ever been in a line like that, and that's most of us, knows that some very interesting conversations happen between the people in the line. As the line moves along, we form new friendships with the people who are next to us in line. So when the Grim Reaper has a busy week, I think about the social dynamic of the line at the pearly gates, considering the mix of people standing in line together. For instance, back in 1977, Elvis Presley and Groucho Marx died at about the same time. What did they have to say to each other as they stood in line at the pearly gates? How about Princess Diana and Mother Teresa, although they had met before? Jerry Garcia and Mickey Mantle, did they talk about baseball, music, or something else? I doubt that Ray Charles and Ronald Reagan had much to say to each other, because Ray was a genius. And Ronnie was about as smart as a sock puppet. So now we have a threefer. Terry Shivo, the Pope, and Prince Rainier, you know, the leader of Monaco, was married to Grace Kelly until she died in a tragic car crash decades before her time. We'd have all heard a lot more about Prince Rainier if it hadn't been for Terry Schiavo and the Pope stealing all the space on the obit page. They're all standing in line when they see Hunter S. Thompson coming back from the pearly gates on his way to Purgatory. I got five years in Purgatory for suicide. That's the standard suicide sentence. Pretty stiff, really.
0: Hey, aren't you Terry
2: Schiavo? Did they finally let you die?
0: Yeah, but if I died when I was supposed to, I would have never met the Pope. Hello, how are you? So what's Purgatory like, anyway?
2: Well, it's interesting, because Heaven, Hell, and Purgatory, they're all custom-tailored to each soul. For me, I have to spend the next four years and 10 months hanging out with Richard Nixon talking about football. Why must you only talk about football? Because if we talked about anything else, that would be hell for me. But the cool thing is, once I've done my time and gotten to heaven, in heaven you can have as many doubles as you need. I mean, as my fans die off and get here, they want to meet me. So I'll need some doubles to deal with my fans. But since we each get our own version of heaven, I get to have one of my doubles tormenting Richard Nixon for as long as he is in purgatory.
0: Don't you have to spend time in purgatory for all of the mean-spirited things you said in your writing? Ah,
2: Peter, Jesus, God, all those guys are pretty forgiving people. And Mary, Mary has a lot of influence on these things, and she's got the biggest heart of all of them. Anyway, they figured that the people I wrote about, they deserved everything I wrote. After all, look at Nixon. He got 500 years in purgatory, but he was so evil, I'm surprised he didn't get shipped right off to hell. Didn't you say you got five years in purgatory? Who are you? I am Prince Rainier, the chief of state of the nation of Monaco. Oh, yeah. You were married to Grace Kelly, weren't you? Yes, I was married to Grace Kelly, and I've been dying to see her again. You mean you just died, and now you get to see her again. Yes, very amusing. Do you know if she's in heaven? No, no. Pete wouldn't tell me. But in my vision of heaven, Grace Kelly is there, and I'll get to spend some quiet time with her. Or at least one of her doubles. Be careful. You could get more time in purgatory for thinking impure thoughts. But you said you got five years in purgatory. How come you said you spend the next four years and ten months with Nixon? Because the time we spend in line counts towards our sentence in purgatory. And you know what? They even count all the time you ever spent in line at the DMV as time in purgatory.
0: Dr. Thompson, it's been nice meeting you, but we've finally made it to the front of the line, and we have to talk to Peter now.
2: Of course. Good luck to you, Terry. Prince, Popsky, been nice meeting you. Perhaps we'll meet again. At least not for four years and ten months.
0: Your Holiness! Sarcasm doesn't suit you. Next! Yes, my name is Terry Shivo.
2: Ah, yes, we've been expecting you for a dog's lifetime by now. Let's see, we have you down for three months in purgatory for vanity. Vanity? You were so desperate to stay thin that you starved your body so much that your heart gave out. Your desire to stay thin ultimately killed you, and it was vanity that gave you this desire.
0: After all that time I spent waiting to die, now I have to spend three months in purgatory?
2: Don't worry. Your time in the hospice is credited toward your time in purgatory. See, you are admitted to heaven right now. If you step to the left after you go through the gate, an angel will assist you with the orientation process. Next! Pope John Paul II. Spiritual descendant of you, my holy father, I humbly beseech before... Yeah, 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 enough of the ceremony. I'm afraid I have you down for a week in purgatory for thinking impure thoughts about one of your assistants. Oh, my. And a month in purgatory for not doing anything about those pedophile priests. But they were priests doing God's work. They used God's name to molest little boys. It gave God a bad name. God is really <laughs> pissed about that and he has a special place in hell set aside for those guys. You didn't kick those guys out of the church, and it just didn't look good. God says he sent you a memo, but you must have missed it. I saw the memo, but it was while George Bush was getting ready to start his stupid war, and he came by to get my blessing. I was working on how I could chew him out without generating an international incident. Yes, and we are aware of that, and it scored you a lot of points on the cosmic balance sheet. Is it really called that? In this sketch it is. Anyway, when you wagged your finger at George Bush, that canceled out three months in purgatory, so you're in. Now the Pope Club is just a couple of doors down. When you get there, Paul VI and John Paul I will show you around. NEXT! Prince Rainier, chief of state of the nation of Monaco. Oh yeah, aren't you the guy that was married to Grace Kelly? Yes, I was married to Grace Kelly. I'm afraid you have to spend an hour in purgatory for thinking an impure thought. I was thinking about my wife. I know you were, I was just having a bit of fun. Come on in, your wife's waiting for you at waterfall number 534. An angel will take you there now. NEXT!
1: have the power dog men and their mean women pulling poor blankets over our sailors I'm sick of dour faces staring at me from the TV tower I want roses in my garden bower, dig? Royal babies, rubies must now replace aborted strangers in the mud Mutants, blood meal for the plant that's plowed. They are waiting to take us into the severed garden. You know how pale and wanton thrillful comes death in a strange hour? Unannounced, unplanned for. Like a scaring, over-friendly guest you've brought to bed. Death makes angels of us all, and gives us wings where we had shoulders smooth as ravens' claws. more money, no more fancy dress. This other kingdom seems by far the best until its other jaw reveals incest and loose obedience to a vegetable law. I will not go. prefer a feast of friends to the giant family.
2: The author Hunter S. Thompson died recently. The papers say that he was in a lot of pain from recent surgeries and injuries, so he decided to point a pistol to his head and pull the trigger at the age of 67. Hunter Thompson loved big guns. He wrote about them a lot. Last we heard, friends and family members are preparing to have his ashes shot out of a 12-inch cannon. We know a lot of people who would eagerly devour any writing with Hunter Thompson's name on it. We are among those people but at the same time, he didn't seem to be the type of person we'd enjoy hanging out with day to day. He was a hedonist who loved guns and tobacco and liquor and fast cars and a lot of other things we don't necessarily approve of, but at the same time, he disapproved of many of the same things we would disapprove of, especially Richard Nixon and all of his political progeny, many of whom sit in positions of power to this very day. It was the colorful tone of his attacks on this gang of thugs, as he called them, that got us to love him, at least his writing, so dearly. He is referred to as a journalist, but his accounts are often over-the-top fantasy. He will be remembered more as a literary figure, who left an imprint of the mood of our time. Today we are here to do a little tribute. We'll do so by reading some select passages from the body of work of Hunter S. Thompson. And for whatever reason, I keep remembering his life to the tune of a soundtrack by Neil Young.
0: We'll open with some passages from his most famous book, which will go down as a classic of American literature, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. It's a story about a journalist waiting in L.A. for his next assignment, which turns out to be covering a dirt bike race in Las Vegas with a Samoan attorney. And so the trip begins.
1: Well, they say that Santa Fe is less than 90 miles away and I got time a car
2: We had trouble again at the car rental agency. After signing all the papers, I got in the car and almost lost control of it while backing across the lot to the gas pump. The rental man was obviously shaken. Say there, uh, you fellas are going to be careful with this car, aren't you? Of course. Well, good God, he said. You just backed over that two-foot concrete abutment, and you didn't even slow down. Forty-five in reverse, and you barely missed the pump. No harm done, I said. I always test a transmission that way. The rear end for stress factors. Meanwhile, my attorney was busy transferring rum and ice from the pinto to the back seat of the convertible. The rental man was watching him nervously. Say, he said, are you fellas drinking? Not me, I said. Just fill the goddamn tank, my attorney snapped. We're in a hell of a hurry. We're on our way to Las Vegas for a desert race. What? Never mind, I said. We're responsible people. I watched him put the gas cap on. Then I jammed the thing into low gear and we lurched into traffic. There's another worrier, said my attorney. He's probably all cranked up on speed. Yeah, you should have given him some reds. Reds wouldn't help a pig like that, he said.
0: After the dirt bike race is over, and many more squalid adventures, our intrepid hero gets a new assignment, covering a meeting of district attorneys on drug enforcement. Basically, a narcs convention.
2: It was treacherous, stupid, and demented in every way but there was no avoiding the stench of twisted humor that hovered around the idea of a gonzo journalist in the grip of a potentially terminal drug episode being invited to cover the National District Attorney's Conference on Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs. There was also a certain bent appeal in the notion of running a savage burn on one Las Vegas hotel, and then, instead of becoming a doomed fugitive on the highway to L.A., just wheeling across town, trading in the red Chevy convertible for a white Cadillac and checking into another Vegas hotel with press credentials to mingle with a thousand ranking cops from all over America while they harangued each other about the drug problem. It was dangerous lunacy, but it was also the kind of thing a real connoisseur of edge work could make an argument for. Where, for instance, was the last place the Las Vegas police would look for a drug-addled fraud fugitive who just ripped off a downtown hotel? Right! In the middle of a National District Attorney's Drug Conference at an elegant hotel on the Strip. At a cocktail party for narcotics agents and their wives at the Dunes.
0: The idea of Hunter Thompson, loose in a hotel full of cops, sounds like a comedy script made in heaven. Or hell.
2: Our room was at the Flamingo, in the nerve center of the Strip, right across the street from Caesar's Palace and the Dunes, site of the drug conference. The place was full of cops. I saw this at a glance. Most of them were just standing around trying to look casual all dressed exactly alike in their cut-rate Vegas casuals. Plaid Bermuda shorts, Arnie Palmer golf shirts, and hairless white legs tapering down to rubberized beach sandals. It was a terrifying scene to walk into, a super stakeout of some kind. If I hadn't known about the conference, my mind might have snapped.
0: Sherlock Holmes had Moriarty, Superman had Lex Luthor, and Hunter Thompson had Richard Nixon. Hunter was a master of dark and demonic imagery when describing the sinister members of the ruling class. Nixon was his favorite victim, and he did not let up when it came time to eulogize him. In an article that Dr. Thompson wrote for Rolling Stone, June 16, 1994, on the death of Richard Nixon...
2: I have had my own bloody relationship with Nixon for many years but I am not worried about it landing me in hell with him. I have already been there with that bastard and I am a better person for it. Nixon had the unique ability to make his enemies seem honorable and we developed a keen sense of fraternity. Some of my best friends have hated Nixon all their lives. My mother hates Nixon, my son hates Nixon, I hate Nixon, and this hatred has brought us together. Nixon laughed when I told him this. Don't worry, he said, I too am a family man, and we feel the same way about you. It was Richard Nixon who got me into politics, and now that he's gone, I feel lonely. He was a giant in his way. As long as Nixon was politically alive, and he was, all the way to the end, we could always be sure of finding the enemy on the low road. There was no need to look anywhere else for the evil bastard. He had the fighting instincts of a badger trapped by hounds. The badger will roll over on its back and emit a smell of death, which confuses the dogs and lures them in for the traditional ripping and tearing action. But it is usually the badger who does the ripping and tearing. It is a beast that fights best on its back, rolling under the throat of the enemy and seizing it by the head with all four claws. That was Nixon's style, and if you forgot, he would kill you as a lesson to the others. Badgers don't fight fair, Bubba. That's why God made dachshunds. If the right people had been in charge of Nixon's funeral, his casket would have been launched into one of those open sewage canals that empty into the ocean just south of Los Angeles. He was a swine of a man and a jabbering dupe of a president. Nixon was so crooked that he needed servants to help him screw his pants on every morning. Even his funeral was illegal. He was queer in the deepest way. His body should have been burned in a trash bin. These are harsh words for a man only recently canonized by President Clinton, but I have written worse things about Nixon many times and the record will show that I kicked him repeatedly long before he went down. I beat him like a mad dog with mange every time I got a chance and I am proud of it. He was scum. Let there be no mistake in the history books about that. Richard Nixon was an evil man, evil in a way that only those who believe in the physical reality of the devil can understand it. He was utterly without ethics or morals or any bedrock sense of decency. Nobody trusted him except maybe the Stalinist Chinese, and honest historians will remember him mainly as a rat who kept scrambling to get back on the ship.
0: On October 27, 2004, a few days before the 2004 election, Hunter Thompson wrote an article for Rolling Stone titled Fear and Loathing, Campaign 2004. In this passage, Richard Nixon looks pretty good compared with the current regime.
2: If Nixon were running for president today, he would be seen as a liberal candidate, and he would probably win. He was a crook and a bungler, but what the hell? Nixon was a barrel of laughs compared to this gang of thugs who are running the White House today. Nixon hated running for president during football season, but he did it anyway. Nixon was a professional politician, and I despised everything he stood for. But if he were running for president this year against the evil Bush-Cheney gang, I would happily vote for him.
0: This next passage recalls the supposed election of 2000.
2: It was the most brutal seizure of power since Hitler burned the German Reichstag in 1933 and declared himself the new boss of Germany. Karl Rove is no stranger to Nazi strategy, if only because it worked for a while and it was sure as hell fun for Hitler. That was 66 years ago, far back in ancient history, and things are not much different today. We still love war. George Bush certainly does, In four short years, he has turned our country from a prosperous nation at peace into a desperately indebted nation at war. But so what? He is the President of the United States and you're not. Love it or leave it. When young Bush was at Yale in the 60s, he told the same joke over and over again for two years, according to some of his classmates one of them still remembers it. "'There was a young man named Green "'who invented a jack-off machine. And the 23rd stroke, the damn thing broke "'and churned his nuts into cream. <laughs> "'It was horrible to hear him tell it,' said the classmate, "'who spoke only on condition of anonymity. "'He lifted his shirt and showed me a scar on his back "'put there by young George.' He burned this into my flesh with a red hot poker, he said solemnly, and I have hated him ever since. That jackass was born cruel. He burned me in the back while I was blindfolded. This scar will be with me forever. There is nothing new or secret about that story. It ran on the front page of the Yale Daily News and caused a nasty scandal for a few weeks, but nobody was ever expelled for it. George did his first cover-up job, and he liked it.
0: There is a lot of hope and a feeling of impending victory to be read between the lines of this story. If only it was to be.
2: Immediately after the first debate ended, I called Muhammad Ali at his home in Michigan. But whoever answered said the champ was laughing so hard that he couldn't come to the phone. The debate really cracked him up, he chuckled. The champ loves a good ass whooping. He says Bush looked so scared to fight, he finally just quit and laid down.
0: Toward the end of the article, Hunter recalled the first time he met John Kerry at an anti-war rally outside the White House in 1972.
2: We were angry and righteous in those days, and there were millions of us. We kicked two chief executives out of the White House because they were stupid warmongers. We conquered Lyndon Johnson, and we stomped on Richard Nixon, which wise people said was impossible. But so what? It was fun. We were warriors then, and our tribe was strong like a river.
0: the last word from Dr. Thompson, our current choice is this passage from his book, Kingdom of Fear, Lovesome Secrets of a Star-Crossed Child and the Final Days of the American Century.
2: See you tomorrow, folks. You haven't heard the last of me. I am the one who speaks for the spirit of freedom and decency in you. Sh**, somebody has to do it. We have become a Nazi monster in the eyes of the whole world, a nation of bullies and bastards who would rather kill than live peacefully. We are not just whores for power and oil, but killer whores with hate and fear in our hearts. We are human scum, and that is how history will judge us. No redeeming social value, just whores. Get out of our way, or we'll kill you. Who does vote for these dishonest shitheads? Who among us can be happy and proud of having all this innocent blood on our hands? Who are these swine, these flag-sucking half-wits who get fleeced and fooled by stupid little rich kids like George Bush? They are the same ones who wanted to have Muhammad Ali locked up for refusing to kill gooks. They speak for all that is cruel and stupid and vicious in the American character. They are the racists and hate-mongers among us. They are the Ku Klux Klan. down the throats of these Nazis, and I am too old to worry about whether they like it or not. Fuck them.
0: So long, Hunter S. Thompson. We'll miss you, but we'll miss your rants even more. Into this universe, and why not knowing? Nor whence, like water, willy-nilly flowing, And out of it, as wind along the waste, I know not whither, willy-willy blowing.
2: That's verse 32 of the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam.
3: What I've been thinking about lately is uh, the 2012 novelty event that Terrence McKenna talked about. Okay, what's that? You're familiar with Terence McKenna, right? Why don't you just run it down for the benefit of our listeners All who right. aren't? Well, Terence McKenna was a neuro-linguistic shaman who uh, went to South America and ingested ayahuasca and other herbal substances and came up with a theory that ties in with chaos theory, I, I think, and it's a it's, uh, novelty Basically, if I understand what he was saying correctly, what happens is uh, increasing periods of novelty leading up to the year 2012, which also happens to coincide with the Mayan calendar somehow. Huh. Yeah. So there's some sort of novelty... Yeah, there's points of novelty that, that are exponentially greater as the time progresses toward that end date, so that by the time you get to 2012, you've got this explosion of novelty this ultimate degree of novelty
2: occurring so is this a holy moment or is this a uh, well, or is this hopefully uh, it's, something that we're going to uh, have
3: to like it's more like a holy cow do we, do we
2: need to build our uh, fallout shelters for no, this
3: no 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 it's this it's, explosion of novelty sounds dangerous it could be dangerous but i think that the one thing that remains constant is consciousness So that even if all the physical matter around you is warping and shifting, including your body, as long as you have the conscious awareness, the consciousness that can sustain itself through all the shifting, then, theoretically, you ride the wave of chaos that is occurring and evolve with it into a new form. Essentially, it could be the same body that you have right now, just somewhat rarefied. In any event, the point being is you could write out the novelty. It doesn't right. have to be a terrible thing. Right. It could just be a novelty. It could just be an incredible, wonderful thing. So this is talking 2012 just as a general year, or is there a particular date in 2012 where there's a peak of this novelty? I think it's uh, Christmas Day. It might be 23 or 26 between there. It's, uh, there are different interpretations of it, but um, I think it's an interesting thing anyway Uh, here's a novelty for you it's it's um rosie was born in
2: 50 and this year she turns 55 i was born in 55 this year
3: i turned 50 Oh wow! I like that. one. That's, That's a, a good, good one. one. Yeah. So this is this is a novelty year for us. Well, this is a novelty year anyway. I think we'll keep our eye out for thermonuclear novelty. No, 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 no. Not thermonuclear. It's going to be more of a novelty. Whimsical explosion of consciousness, like uh, spiritual knowledge. Maybe. Well, that would be a good thing. Utter telepathy, for example. <laughs> A bump, 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 a
1: bump, a 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 bump, la 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 la
2: we normally check the mailbag and take listener feedback, but we don't have any. According to our logs, there are about two dozen of you listening to the show right now, and given that only about one in a hundred respond, our empty mailbag is not to be unexpected. But we need to know how we're doing, what we can do to make this a better show.
0: So until we get more listeners, the rest of you loyal diehards will have to let us know what we can do to get more listeners. Was there a part of the show where we almost lost you, and why? Is there something we're doing that you'd like to hear more of?
2: We want this program to continue, so please let us know what we can do to keep you listening. On our website, www.purpleearth.net, there's a button that says Contact Purple Earth. Click that button. Write out your message, and our website will magically send us an email with your message in it.
0: You might be saying, why don't you just give us your email address so we can send you an email? We're doing this to reduce our level of incoming spam, because we don't like spam. We don't like spam. Because when you make an email address public, it inevitably leads to all kinds of junk email coming in. We don't like spam. Yuck. So anyway, to leave us feedback, go to our website at www purpleearth.net. Click on the link that says contact Purple Earth and let us know what you think.
2: This is a quote from the late Hunter Thompson from his last book, Hey Rube a uh, collection of his sports writings in ESPN.com. We are turning into a nation of whimpering slaves to fear. Fear of war, fear of poverty, fear of random terrorism, fear of getting downsized or fired because of the plunging economy, fear of getting evicted for bad debts, or suddenly getting locked up in a military detention camp on vague charges of being a terrorist sympathizer. <laughs> and assembled by Abby Z and Rosie of Purple Earth. You can contact us through our website at www.purpleearth.purpleearth.net. If you like the music you hear on the show, thank Rosie, our music director. This week's playlist is on our website soon, but not yet. We may have links to where you can buy your own copies of these pieces of music. The music you heard this week was. Starting with our theme song, Lovers of Light by the afro Kelp Sound System. Then we heard
0: Badar Ali Khan doing Black Knight.
2: Remembrance by Delirium.
0: Jim Morrison and the Doors, The Severed Garden. And then Good and Evil from David Byrne.
2: Grateful Dead from their acid test tapes, Death Don't Have No Mercy. And Neil Young doing Albuquerque.
0: Then we heard Hog Heaven from Frank Zappa and Campaigner from Neil Young.
2: Osric Tentacles did Kick 98 and Synesthesia did Consciousness.
0: We heard from Crude Infinity doing Pathfinder and Home on the Strange from R. Carlos Nakai Quartet.
2: Elaine Eskenasi did Anahaka and Tangerine Dream performed No Man's Land.
0: Then we heard from Osric Tentacles again doing Spyroid.
2: Black Sabbath doing their classic War Pigs. a different reality? It's Earth Day! How did all this Earth Day business get started anyway and why? Does it mean something more than a community garbage pickup day? After all the rallies and speeches are over with, what can we each do to make a meaningful difference? We'll also have a conversation with Ken Malley, a professor of philosophy who teaches sustainability as part of an environmental studies program at the University of Wisconsin in La Crosse. Our Earth Day show is next week on
3: A Different Reality. By the time you get to 2012, you've got this explosion of
0: novelty. Broadcasting from Purple Earth.